Okay, we are studying the doctrine of the future. We've already covered what's going to happen after, well, we've, we've covered the, the rapture, so the, the catching up of believers, the church being caught up to heaven so that these two events can take place in heaven. So we have the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage. Uh, the supper will actually take place. So that's one disagreement I have with that there. Supper will take place on earth. All right, let's have a look at the nature of the tribulation. There are so many verses we could look at. I, I've got at least 50 that we could look at, but let's just look at one. You get the idea here. In Joel chapter 1, verse 15, the prophet Joel says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. I just underlined that, that word destruction there for you. So you get an idea of the very nature of the tribulation. And there's so many words. The prophets talk about words like wrath, judgment, trial, trouble, darkness, desolation, and punishment, just to name a few of the words. You get an idea of the nature. It's, it's not a wonderful time. It will not be your best life now, that's for sure. And so Joel also tells us the source of the tribulation in Joel 1, verse 15. Again, he says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. So you'll see this over and over again. The prophets continually show that God is the source of the tribulation. So it can't be denied that this particular period known as the tribulation is peculiarly the time when God's wrath and judgment fall on the earth. This wrath is not from men. It's not from the Antichrist. It's not from Satan, uh, except for the fact that God is going to use Satan and the Antichrist. and He's going to use various agencies as his channels for the execution of his own will. But we need to understand that, that God is the one in charge here. Notice, it's from the Almighty. This destruction is from God. And the whole tribulation period is from God. So what's the purpose of the tribulation? Two main purposes that the Bible highlights for us. Number one, God is going to prepare the nation of Israel for her Messiah. Messiah is, is Israel's king, if you will. They're, they're anointed one. And uh, before we look at Daniel 9, actually turn over to chapter 12. Look at Daniel chapter 12. Over and over again, we see that, that Israel is, is the focus here during the tribulation. So God is not done with the nation of Israel, unlike some of my friends say. No, God definitely has a purpose for Israel in the tribulation. So look at this. In Daniel 12, verse 1, it says, At that time shall arise Michael... The great prince, or he's the archangel, uh, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So God has a purpose for Israel yet to come. We'll read more about that in a moment. But God's purpose for Israel in the tribulation is to bring about their conversion, to bring about their salvation. God's going to save a multitude of the Jews during the tribulation in, in these 
These Israelis are going to then enter into Christ's kingdom, and they're going to experience the fulfillment of, of all of Israel's covenants, going all the way back to Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant, the, the new covenant in, in, is going to come. All these are going to be ultimately fulfilled. Well, how is God going to do this? Well, when you read Revelation, you find one of the ways God doing this is through a group called the 144,000. The 144,000. So one of the things that I'm encouraged by as you read about the 144,000 in places like Revelation chapter 7, which you can, you can turn there if you wish. Keep your finger there in, in Daniel, please, because we'll turn back. But we, we see in places like Revelation 7 that God is not going to abandon planet Earth to Satan and the Antichrist. But what he is going to do, he's going to raise up Israeli evangelists or missionaries. And they're, by the way, they are not Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, by the way, the Jehovah's Witnesses have changed their view. They, they used to think that uh, God was going to save 144,000 of them. But once they passed that mark, then they changed their view. Well, that's now 144,000 churches. I don't know what their recent view is. But anyway, they keep changing their view to accommodate this. And that's the problem when you start allegorizing Scripture is you can come up with all sorts of false views. Another false view is that this represents the church. This does not represent the church, and let me show you why. The Bible is quite specific here on who are the 144,000. The Bible tells us. We don't have to guess who they are. We don't have to allegorize this. If you interpret it literally, here's what you come up with. Number one, they're Jewish people. Read Revelation 7, verse 4. It clearly says they're Israelis. They are of the race of Hebrew. Uh, you'll notice there's 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. That's why I put that on the screen there for you. So you, you, you add all 12 tribes, 12,000 from each, you get 144,000. And then according to Revelation 7, verse 3, we see, notice it says they are servants of God. That just means they're saved individuals. They're believers in Jesus Christ. And then number three, according to verse three, is it says they're sealed. They're sealed. They got God's stamp on them, if you will. In, in other words, God is securing and protecting his servants from the judgments of the tribulation. He's, he's protecting them from Satan. Antichrist is going to come after the Jews. And so God's protecting these 144,000 witnesses. So here's the conclusion. Just on those few verses alone, we see the 144,000 are Jewish evangelists who God is securing and protecting. Why? So they can proclaim the gospel during the tribulation. And it seems to be during the first half of the tribulation. By the way, they're not the only ones that God are going to use. So we have a minimum of 144,000 Christians during this time. Many will be saved as a result of their witness. But Revelation 11 also talks about the two witnesses. So God's using a group of witnesses to accomplish His purposes. Why? Remember, God is preparing the nation of Israel for the Messiah. So when Jesus comes back, the second coming at the Battle of Armageddon, Israel is going to be ready for King Jesus. 
So God's raising up two special individuals here, and they are going to bear testimony to him. As you can see here in this photo, they're they're given ability to do uh, various miracles. They can do uh, all kinds of powerful miracles that God enables them to do, according to Revelation 11, verses 5 and 6. In fact, they can even... They can even destroy their enemies by fire. That's the ability that God gives to them. So the miracles are going to validate their ministry as being from God. Their ministry is centered in Jerusalem, according to verse 8. According to verse 3, they're wearing sackcloth. Why, why, did, why do people wear sackcloth in the Bible? That was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of repentance. Because sackcloth is not comfortable. You ever worn it? It's not nice. It's very rough, itchy. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's not a beautiful thing. And so sackcloth was a sign of mourning and repentance. And so it may be concluded on Revelation 11 here that the two witnesses are announcing a message, a God-given message, which is repentance, to prepare them for the coming of King Jesus. So God has has his witnesses, even during the tribulation, they are preparing the nation of Israel for her Messiah. But there's also a second purpose. God's going to judge unbelieving men and nations for their sinfulness. Because God is holy. He doesn't overlook sin. He, He has to deal with it. The prophets, again, talk a lot about this. I'll just give you one example here. Jeremiah 25, verse 30. I've put it on the screen here for you. Jeremiah says this, The Lord will roar from on high, and from His holy habitation utter His voice. He will roar mightily against His fold, and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. Well, there's many examples we could read that say the same thing. Do you understand the point? God is going to bring judgment on the earth during this time period. And so this period is going to reach, notice according to Jeremiah and others, reaching out to all the nations. So from these verses, it it, it is seen that God is judging the nations of the earth. Why? Because of their godlessness, their wickedness, their sinfulness. How is God going to do that? Well, I've given you a little tribulation map here, which don't don't take it too literally, but uh, it, it's showing various judgments here between the rapture of the church and the return of Christ. So we got seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bold judgments. You can read about those, Revelation 6 to 18. God's going to Open these. According to Revelation 5, Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to open the scroll to release these judgments on the earth. And and it's a series of three judgments. It's not necessarily going to fall exactly like that. But you get the idea, I hope. 
All right. So before Jesus comes back at the Battle of Armageddon, we, we've got uh, the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bull judgments taking place during these seven years. So what is the time of the tribulation? When is this going to happen, in other words? Well, in order to understand the various time elements here of the tribulation period, it's necessary that we go back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 is, is really foundational for us to understand the book of Revelation. They, they go together. So we've got to go back to the prophecy of Daniel here, and we'll find a chronology of Israel's history outlined here in a prophecy called the 70 weeks. Now, when you see the word weeks here in Daniel 9, don't, don't think of seven days. In fact, you, you might even have a footnote in your Bible for the word weeks. Like I do, it just says sevens. So it's 70 sevens. In other words, 70 times seven years. And you say, well, how do you know it's years? Well, Daniel, Daniel helps interpret that for us in chapter 12. For example, if you read in Daniel 12, verse 11, he, he specifically gives you amount of days. In Daniel 12, verse 11, he says, From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So Daniel specifically mentions days. Revelation also is, is very helpful, and so when you compare Scripture with Scripture, it should be clear when you're doing that, using Scripture as its own commentary, you'll see that it's 70 times 7 years, a total of 490 years. So with that in mind, let's read the 70-week the prophecy here. Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now I realize some of you are probably scratching your heads at this point, wondering, what is Daniel talking about? <laughs> I understand. If you're shaking your head thinking, whoa, 
Uh, let, me, let me try to make this as simple as possible, because I know this is hard to understand. Let me just point out a few things here, okay? For one thing, we're going to interpret this literally, okay? And if you do that, it, it'll, it'll really help you to understand what's going on here. Uh, the other thing is we need to make a distinction between the church and Israel. The promises have not passed from Israel to the church. So if you confuse that, you will not understand Bible prophecy. So if you, if you believe in replacement theology, this will be very confusing to you. So we are talking about a distinction between the church and Israel. So just keep those interpretive things in mind as you look at this. So this is a, an, an indispensable chronological key to understanding New Testament prophecy. So let me just point out a few important truths here. Number one, look at verse 24. Who are we talking about here? The entire prophecy has to do with Daniel's people. Who is Daniel's people? Of what race is Daniel? He's a Hebrew. He's, he's, he's an Israeli. Okay, So this whole prophecy of the 490-year period here is referring to Israel. It also is referring to Daniel's city, according to verse 24. What city was Daniel from? Jerusalem. So we got the nation of Israel and a city called Jerusalem. This whole prophecy is about that. It's not about the church. It's about Israel and Jerusalem. Okay? So that, that, if you get that at your foundation, you'll understand this. Okay? Number two, there's a, two different princes mentioned here. And that's one reason this might be confusing to you. So the first prince is named Messiah the prince. Verse 25 says... But there's a second prince mentioned in verse 26, the prince who is to come, okay? Don't make them the same person. If you do, you will be confused, okay? Messiah the prince, of course, is Jesus. The prince to come, small p, is the Antichrist. How do we know it's the Antichrist? Again, compare Scripture with Scripture. You'll, you'll see he is the one who is um, he's going to make an end to the sacrifices, he's the one going to make the covenant for the seven years. Okay, so comparing Scripture with Scripture, you'll know it's the Antichrist. Another important point is that the entire time period involved is exactly specified here as 70 weeks. That's what verse 24 says. So 70 sevens, or 70 times 7, you come up with 490 years. But notice Daniel divides this up even further. He says these 70 weeks are divided into three lesser periods. So you got the period of seven weeks or seven, uh, 77 times seven. So I put a little diagram here on the screen for you. I hope that helps. That's, that is about as simple as I can get. So you got the first period, 49 years. Daniel mentions that. All right, but then there's a second period. 62 weeks, or 434 years. But there's a final period, one week, or seven years, which has not happened yet. Okay, so, so that's why you got this gap way over here on the right of your screen. There's a gap from the cross of Jesus Christ to this seven-year period called the tribulation. So that's, that's the church age going on there. We don't know 
exactly how long that is. But we do know how long the 70 times 7 period is. It's a total of 490 years. So this, this whole, uh, the beginning of the whole period, notice Daniel says in verse 25, starts from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. When did that happen? Well, we know based on history, there's very accurate historical records, that was in 445 B.C. 445 B.C. Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire, decreed that Jerusalem walls and the city would be rebuilt. He did that in 445 B.C. So Daniel's making this prophecy even before he does this. And so this 490 years started in 445 B.C. It went seven years, sorry, 449 years. But then there was another 434 years, which went all the way to A.D. 32. That's Palm Sunday. Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem. Remember, this is Daniel's people, specifically the city of Daniel, which is Jerusalem, So Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So notice there's a cross on the screen there because Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin, was buried and rose again. And then we enter into this, this church age here, an unknown period of time. So there's still seven years that need to be fulfilled in Daniel's prophecy. So we see God literally fulfilling the first part, well, then we know God's going to keep his promises in the last part then, don't we? And so the end of the 69 weeks is going to be marked by the appearance of Messiah, who is Jesus. He's the one mentioned in verse 25 as the prince of Israel. And then there's a later time after the the 69 weeks, Messiah the prince is cut off. That's referring to Jesus' death. That's why there's a cross on the screen. So, so Jesus was, was murdered. He was killed. And Jerusalem is going to again be destroyed, as it says, by a people of another prince who is yet to come. So Jerusalem and the temple, as you know, probably, I hope you know, was destroyed in A.D. 70 by the Romans. So after these two important events here, we, we come then to the last or the 70th week. The beginning of which, look at Daniel 20, verse 27. He says, the beginning of which is marked by the establishment of a covenant or a peace treaty with Israel. So, if you should miss the rapture, you will be looking for the Antichrist to make a peace treaty with Israel. And when he does that, that marks the beginning of the tribulation. So this coming prince or the Antichrist is going to make this for one week or seven years. And then also verse 27, we see in the middle of the 70th week, according, you'll see here on the screen, we already read Daniel chapter 12, which gives the exact days. But in the middle of this, uh, the Antichrist is going to break his peace treaty with Israel. The coming prince will suddenly cause the Jewish sacrifices to cease, the offerings will cease, 
And then he's going to bring upon this, this, the people a time of wrath and desolation that will last the entire three and a half years of the, the end of the tribulation. Right? So that's what verse 27 says. I hope you're with me. I hope that's not too confusing. So that's, that's the basic idea of, of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. But we've, we've left something out. There's some really good news here, okay, in the midst of the bad news. we got some good news Daniel mentions here. Because with the completion of the 490 years, there's going to be a time of great blessing for the nation of Israel. He mentions six things there, verse 24. Look at verse 24. Here's the blessings for Israel. Number one, to finish the transgression. To finish the transgression. So so the willful rebellion of Israel is going to be brought to an end. There's this this partial hardening the New Testament talks about on on the nation of Israel. But that's going to end. Israel is going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Number two is, is there's this end of sins. To make an end of sins. So Israel is going to repent of their sin, going to turn to their Messiah. And number three, to make a reconciliation for iniquity or sin. Iniquity is kind of another word for sin. So we have the death of Jesus Christ. Here's the, the only thing that is able to deal with Israel's sin. So therefore, what's the point? The cross is the basis here for Israel's cleansing and being brought into the new covenant. You can read about the new covenant uh, by the prophet Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Uh, those have not been ultimately fulfilled, but they will be during this, this period. And number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. So after Israel repents, Messiah's kingdom is going to be established then during the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, which is called the millennium. You can read about that in Revelation 20. And number five, uh, a fifth blessing is to seal up vision and prophecy. That's what verse 24 says. So this goal is indicating a complete fulfillment of prophecy here, coupled with this idea there's, there will be no additional prophetic information given. Why? Well, we don't need any more revelation when King Jesus comes. When King Jesus comes, we, we don't need any more. Because he is going to return and establish his forever kingdom. And then the last one, the second, or sixth blessing is to anoint the most holy. What is that about? Well, this has to do with the consecration of the future temple. The future temple is going to be uh, erected and built there in Jerusalem. It's going to be the center of the worship in the millennial kingdom. You want to read more about that? Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel gives very specific dimensions, tells you a lot about the millennial temple. That has not been built yet. That millennial temple is way bigger than anything that's been built yet. So you can read about that in Ezekiel. But that's going to be the center of worship during the millennial kingdom. And so one of the things I want to note about these six blessings here is they all have something to do with the Messiah, something to do with Jesus. So the first part is about, really in particular, Jesus' death. 
And the last part has to do more with Jesus' reign here at, during the millennium. And so the first three are fulfilled, at least in principle, at Christ's first coming. And then those last three blessings completed at Christ's second coming. So there's some good things yet to come for the nation of Israel. God has not given up on them yet. Right? The promises that God gave in those covenants are eternal. They're unconditional. And God will fulfill those yet to come in that, this time period that we just talked about. Well, what's going to happen? When King Jesus returns, you'll see again in this this tribulation map here for you. The tribulation will end when King Jesus returns. We typically call that the Battle of Armageddon. So I want us to end on a high note by reading Revelation 19 together. Revelation 19. So, at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, King Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back with the saints. And here's what the Bible has to say. Revelation 19. Everyone there? Verse 11. We'll start at verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, And the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two, that's the Antichrist and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. 
And that's how the tribulation ends. If you read on into chapter 20, you'll hear about the reign of Christ on the earth called the millennium. Maybe we'll look at that at some future time. But let's pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. You are a great God, a sovereign God, reigning supreme over all of your creation. We're thankful you have not given up on Israel and you are going to accomplish your purposes with them. Your covenants will ultimately be fulfilled and we praise you for that, that you are a big God, an awesome God, and a powerful God. And we know that you, you are trustworthy and, you're, and you can be relied upon to do what you said you're going to do. So may we walk away from here just glorifying you and worshiping you because you are awesome. May you be magnified with what you have revealed about yourself and your ways here. Help us to understand this. There's a lot of hard stuff to understand. So open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your word. And then may we apply the scriptures in a way that's appropriate. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.